Welcome to the Pod Control Podcast, brought to you by Red Hat. PodCTL is your source for containers, Kubernetes, OpenShift, and all things cloud native. Hello, Kubernetes community, and welcome back to season two of the PodCTL podcast. This is episode six. You know, in the last five episodes, we really looked at, you know, the Kubernetes architecture, what is Kubernetes. We've looked at some of the applications that run on, on Kubernetes, the types of problems that it solves. We've looked at, you know, how Kubernetes gets created in the upstream community. We've looked at different ways that it gets distributed, how you can go about getting the technology, either as software or as a, as a cloud service. We, in the last episode, we looked at what's included in Kubernetes. And, you know, we sort of hinted around at what's included, but also what we're going to cover in this episode is what's not included. Um, and this is one of those things that I think confuses people sometimes because, you know, there's a couple of things that that people tend to think about with Kubernetes. They hear uh, it is a standard. Uh, there are lots of compliant or conformant uh, distributions or, or offerings out there. They hear that, you know, it allows portability. And so your thought process is, you know, everything must be included. Everything must be the same between all these different uh, offerings that are out there, including the upstream uh, open source version, in terms of, you know, what, what do we get? Um, and I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions is that what I tried to highlight in episode five was, you know, what is included in the uh, Kubernetes project? And that's the most important thing to start with is what's included in the project. And then we start to get into, well, you know, what are you trying to do with Kubernetes as an engine for the thing that you're ultimately trying to build or the thing that you're trying to consume? So let's sort of start, and I'm going to kind of do this as a stack so you have some visualization. I'll try and put some stuff in the show notes as well. Um, but if we, you know, we sort of start with, you know, what's uh, not included with Kubernetes. So the first thing is, you know, you need something to install Kubernetes on, uh, or not install Kubernetes on, but install Kubernetes with. And this is an area where, you know, people would just assume that Kubernetes has a default installer. You must just use, you know, cube dash install or something like that, some tool like that. Well, the reality is uh, lots and lots of different installers have gotten created over the years, probably a dozen or so. Um, and this is, you know, an area that kind of confuses some people. You know, what do I use to install it? Do I use kubeadm? Do I use kubespray? Do I use some script? Do I use an Ansible playbook? Do I use something from Chef or Puppet? You know, one of my, one of my salt type of tools. Um, you know, do I use something else? Do I use Terraform? Do I not have to install anything because it's in the cloud? So, there are lots of different ways to install it. The installer is not necessarily a, a standard piece of Kubernetes, although there are lots of them out there. The next piece you'd think about in the stack would be, um, you know, where you're going to install it. And while there are different, uh, or consume it, um, while there are different working groups or SIG groups within Kubernetes to deal with all of the different places you'd likely to install it, um, everything from you know, on-prem type of environments, whether that's bare metal or uh, variations on virtualization or an open stack or something, uh, to, you know, kind of ways of having cloud providers for the different clouds that are out there. So the good news is those are all out there. Uh, they're part of Kubernetes. So Kubernetes can run basically everywhere. But depending on um, how you either buy or use Kubernetes or, you know, where you get it from, you know, it may not necessarily run the same everywhere. So for example, if you buy some commercial software, it's likely going to run most places, but you know you do need to check and see. You know, do they have installers and support for the actual on-prem or public cloud cloud environment that you have? So that's something to definitely take a look at. You know, check those boxes. Um, if you use a native service from one of the cloud providers, so you use a you know Amazon EKS or a Google GKE uh, or a you know Microsoft. Um, 
AKS or DigitalOcean service, those don't necessarily uh, run the same everywhere else. Like you can't necessarily get them to be running on some other cloud, or they may or may not, depending on the service, run on premises the same way. So again, uh, you know, there is some level of consistency, but not necessarily everywhere. And again, it depends on how you get your Kubernetes, whether you're running it, whether somebody else is running it and so forth. The next piece up the stack that you typically would think about is the actual operating system, right? What does uh, you know, what does it run on? What is Kubernetes, both the masters as well as the worker nodes, what are they going to run on? And, you know, this is where, to a certain extent, you could say Linux. Um, you know, they're all basically going to run on Linux. Uh, but the question is, you know, does it, is it specifically built to run on a specific Linux? Uh, a, are there certain features within a specific Linux that they run on? The next thing you might want to think about from a Linux perspective is, are we running on a Linux that is sort of a multi, you know, general purpose, multi-purpose Linux, um, you know, one that will run sort of any sort of uh, application, or is it a Linux that's built specifically for containers, right? We've seen lots of those over time. We've seen uh, CoreOS, we've seen Alpine, we've seen, um, you know, Rancher OS, a whole bunch of others that have been built since then. You know, which one are you looking to use? So that's a variation that's not part of Kubernetes. You're going to make a decision on that yourself. As we start to move up the stack, we start to think about, okay, um, Kubernetes is out there, but I want to be able to network things together. Well, Kubernetes by itself does not have an, uh, an SDN, if you will, right? It has some concepts of, as we talked about, getting an IP address or, you know, having a, an ingress or an egress route, uh, but it doesn't necessarily have an SDN per se. So there is a pluggable way of getting an SDN into your Kubernetes. It's now called CNI, Container Native Interface. I'm sorry, Container Networking Interface, CNI. Um, and that allows pluggability of various types of SDNs into your Kubernetes. And that's a, a standard, that CNI standard is part of Kubernetes, but the actual SDN itself, um, you know, regardless of where it comes from, um, is not necessarily part of Kubernetes. The next part of infrastructure that you'd have to think about is the storage. And while there is uh, concepts of storage in Kubernetes, a provision volume or a storage, um, you know, storage class and other things like that, the actual storage itself is not part of Kubernetes. And this is another area where it becomes pluggable. So this is something you'll hear called CSI, Container Storage Interface. This is a pluggable way to bring um, storage into your Kubernetes environment, whether that is um, you know, not necessarily using the local disks. You can do that with Kubernetes, but if you have any sort of external third-party storage, this is where you're going to bring that in. Now, you start to get above that and you say, okay, um, let's think about how we want to operate Kubernetes. Well, the first thing that people kind of forget about is they go, well, in order to get a, reg a container into Kubernetes, you're going to need a registry. It's going to want to pull that container from somewhere. Well, a registry is not part of Kubernetes. A container registry is not uh, a distinct part of Kubernetes. It is a external third-party thing. Um, you know, you can get them from lots of places. There are lots of open source versions. There are lots of commercial versions. There are SaaS versions. Uh, but again, not part of Kubernetes. And the next things you start to think about are what are all the operational tools that we need uh, around Kubernetes? And this is where there is a you know, massive ecosystem of choices that you have, but these things are not distinctly part of Kubernetes. So whether you're looking for monitoring offerings, um, maybe you're looking at an open source version of monitoring like a Prometheus, or you're looking at a commercial version of monitoring like you know, Datadog or New Relic or AppDynamics or any you know, Dynatrace or any others, um, those aren't part of Kubernetes, right? Those are things that you have to then go integrate into Kubernetes. Uh, logging, not part of Kubernetes, right? So lots of different ways you can do logging. There are, you know, 
EFK stacks and ELK stacks and all sorts of third-party tools that are out there to do logging, great things that'll do logging, but you have to set those up, right? Or you have to integrate them um, into the offering. Uh, things like metering, m- monitoring, chargeback, cost maintenance type, or you know, cost management types of systems, all not part of Kubernetes. Again, these all can be integrated from a third-party perspective, but they're not natively there. So all of those types of tools um, aren't necessarily there. The next category that we typically would look at is, you know, what does Kubernetes do in terms of security? Well, there are some security constructs within Kubernetes, right? It has the ability to um, have secrets for the applications and for the infrastructure, the ability to encrypt secrets, um, you know, on etcd if you want to use that as a as a, a sort of a key store. Um, there are ways to, you know, make sure that you can, um, you know, do role-based access control and you can do uh, taints and tolerance so you can kind of control access two resources. Those are all kind of built into Kubernetes. Um, But in terms of things like, you know, does Kubernetes lock down my operating system, right? Does it apply patches and CVEs? No, it doesn't. That's a distinct thing that um, somebody has to do uh, that's not necessarily part of Kubernetes. Um, You know, another thing that we look at is, you know, does it do scanning? Does it do signing of the actual images that are going to run on Kubernetes? No, it's not part of that. That's often something that is part of the registry but it's not part of core Kubernetes. So again, an external thing that, that you, need to, you need to figure out how to integrate into your system or consume as a service um, as part of some other aspect of your system. Uh, there's probably lots of other aspects of, of uh, security that we could dive into, you know, sys benchmarks and, uh, you know, FIPS compliance and all sorts of other kind of regulatory things. Again, those are sort of implementation details. Those aren't part of Kubernetes. Okay. Now we get past sort of operations, we get past security, we get past the cloud infrastructure, we get past the OS infrastructure. The next thing that people tend to ask is they go, well, if all that's not part of Kubernetes, I'm sure the developer experience is because we're talking about it being a cloud native, cloud native application platform. There must be a native, you know, kind of developer experience. Well, not necessarily. Uh, You know, Kubernetes job is to basically say, uh, give me some way of explaining your deployment uh, give me your specifications about the deployment, and I will go deploy those. But it doesn't necessarily give you anything that says, here's how I want to build a microservices application. Here's how I want to integrate these different microservices together. These are all things that are above and beyond Kubernetes, right? They're outside the scope of Kubernetes. The good news is there are lots of different projects um, that are Kubernetes compatible that are helping to make this happen, but there's not a default sort of, here's how you build an application with, with Kubernetes, other than containerizing your application, using the deployment models within Kubernetes, and then allowing Kubernetes to deploy it and kind of keep track of your application. So another area where it's not necessarily there. The last piece uh, that people often ask about is, you know, what about other application services like API gateways or streaming services or other stuff? Again, these are all above and beyond Kubernetes. These start to get into the application layer. Kubernetes sort of stops at the container layer or the pods uh, for deployments, everything above that is things that can run on Kubernetes. We talked about that in episode two, the types of applications and the types of business problems that can be solved using the underlying primitives of Kubernetes. But those aren't necessarily part of Kubernetes. You're not going to get like Kafka, for example, or an API gateway or some other part that comes by default with Kubernetes. Those are things that you sort of add to the platform. So talked a lot about what's not there. I'm going to try and put some uh, diagrams in the picture so you have a sense of When I go get Kubernetes, if you will, what are the things do I have to think about 
And then also keep in mind, um, since Kubernetes moves at a fairly rapid pace, right? New releases come out every three months, as we talked about in episode three, um, you're going to have to figure out how do I keep up with all these other elements, making sure that they're the right version, that they've been tested together, that they're validated and so forth. So with that, I'm going to wrap up episode six. Um, I hope this gave you a sense of you know, the other things that you're probably going to need um, to pull together something that would be considered a application platform or deployment platform that uses Kubernetes as an engine um, and also gives you a sense of, okay, what, where do I have some flexibility to look at different options of the things that we like that could add on or augment my Kubernetes environment? So with that, I'm going to wrap it up. Thanks to everybody for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. And we will be back with episode seven. And we're going to look at what are some of the skills that you need, technical skills or cultural skills that you need in order to make Kubernetes productive in your environment. Thank you for listening to the Pod Control Podcast. You can find everything about the show at podctl.com or at podctl on Twitter.